Hello, welcome to the RT Film Podcast. I'm laughing slightly because Ben and I have uh, just spent the last 45 minutes starting off over a row over a host of a new TV show to ending on politics. And I think, yeah, we're not even going to bring up politics with Ben. You got a bit riled up, I think, Ben. I mean, me and Jacob, our political views do not align. My <laughs> political views align more with people our age than Jacob's do. But that's all. <laughs> Slight dig there already. Um, welcome to the RT Film Podcast with Ben and Jacob. Hello, hi. Um, I can feel it's going to be a good one. Ben, you texted me this morning saying uh, it's going to be a good one. I can feel it. And now Ben and I have had this discussion. Our tensions are like rising and we're awake and we're hungry. I don't know if we can, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm ready to get stuck in. Um, coming up on today's podcast, uh, we're going to be talking about The Last Duel, Ron's Gone Wrong, Venom 2, The Velvet Underground, Halloween Kills, and I think that's everything in it, Ben. Should we start with the Halloween one? Because Halloween is just around the corner. I don't like how the uh, supermarket I work at have only just started stocking the Halloween stuff in the last week. But for the last three months, I've been selling Christmas chocolates. <laughs> that is actually gold. But um, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. So we've taken down a Christmas display to put the Halloween one up, and we're going to put the Christmas display back up. I am personally not a massive fan. This is a hot take. Halloween's my Halloween. least favorite hol- holiday. I Sorry, act- it is your favorite. It's holiday. my least. I actively oh, avoid yeah. Halloween. I'm, I think it's great when you're little, but I think as an adult, like, I have no intention of going to a club for a Halloween night wearing a Halloween costume. I don't want to spend the money on that for a start. Um, and it's just uh, unnecessary faff, isn't it? Yeah, and I feel like you feel like you have to do something for it, but it's... Mate, mate, I, I know we said the, the, the keep saying my supermarket, they've asked me to dress up for four days on the build up to Halloween. Wear a nun costume. Yes, well, that could not probably give the supermarket the best image, though. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Maybe, I, you know, I was thinking I could just That's wear all white. That's my go-to. I was thinking I could wear all white and be a ghost. Mm. I feel like that's good. Yes. Boring, but it's a, it's a safe bet. So, Ben, there's a, is it a new show or a new film? So, Halloween Kills, it's the... Okay, this is where things get slightly complicated. It is the sequel to the 2018 reboot slash sequel to the 1978 Halloween film. Now, can you there repeat have that? Been... Sorry, no, Ben, you've just lost me. The reboot to this, which was it's the reboot sequ- of this, it's, it's, is... I, I, it's confusing. Anyway, long story short, it's a film in the Halloween franchise that I'm not entirely sure what sequels it exists follows and what sequels it doesn't follow. Having watched the film. Um, I have no clue what's law and what's not law. Um, it's certainly a sequel to the 2018 Halloween long-awaited sequel. I think the 2018 one was a sequel over a reboot directed by David Gordon Green. This one's also directed by David Gordon Green. And it's the second part in a new Halloween trilogy. Um, the Nightmare... So look in 2022 for the third instalment. Yes, which is called Halloween Ends, which in a franchise that's had like 10, 11 films at this point <laughs> is a pretty pointless name. <laughs> 10, 11 reboots of trilogies. 
<laughs> anyway, also, Seth... sorry, I really don't like the name of it either. I feel like that's such a like a like a niche thing to call it after like a, a film after a holiday at this day and age because I feel like you target your audience and limit your audience. The Halloween film it. is so a it's it's one of the most it is one of the biggest ha- ha- horror franchises. Like Michael right, Myers okay. is arguably the most iconic slasher villain. The original Halloween film is legit one of the classics of horror canon. The 2018, the problem is, all the sequels, by the 2018 one, have been utter crap. Um, and the problem with this one is, it takes place literally 10 minutes after this last film happened. Which makes the last film feel incomplete. And if there's a sequel that also occurs to this film in the same night, which I, which you knew going in, this film has nothing to do. Um... You have Michael Myers. He's escaped from the burning building that killed him last time. He killed about 20 firefighters to get out of a burning building. Didn't die. Then he's gone out. I mean, this sounds like cinematically, there's some great moments potentially to show on film. Is that the case? What's the cinematography like in this? There is nothing interesting about this film. There is Right, I'm going to guess you're not a massive fan. No, because it completely... So, my problem is, this film makes Michael Myers into some invincible creature. He's a creature of our own fear, they say. That's not interesting. The interesting thing about Michael Myers is when he's an unhinged serial killer who's creeping around, yeah? Yeah. A man is more scary than a god. Agreed, because gods are very, like, fictional. If you can't kill Michael Myers, it takes out all the tension and the intrigue and the excitement to the film, including the climactic sequence. Agreed. Why would, you want, to watch film, a film where the, why would you want to watch a film where the, you know the main baddie <laughs> cannot die? Yeah, and we also know the main hero in Laurie Strode is going to live to the third film in the trilogy. Um... And this film, the last film, did a really good job of anchoring her trauma and how the events of the 1970s film had lived on with her for 40 years. This film drowns her in a hospital where she's mumbling some random things high on methane. The one redeeming feature of this film is I think humans are more terrifying than gods. And I think when humans get grabbed together as a mob... That's when we're at our most terrifying. There is a brilliant mob sequence about two-thirds of the way through the film that I don't want to spoil. But in my opinion, what that mob do is more chilling than anything Michael Myers does on screen in this entire film. That is a statement. He is... It's a series of uninteresting kills. And there's a right. lot of kills. It does live up uh, to the thing fact. is, with, with kills, if they're uninteresting, and also if you overkill and kill too many people, it takes the weight out of the act of, you know, showing someone being murdered on, on in a film. Mm, it's It just totally doesn't. Look, it's okay for a film... To make massive swings and it not work. It's okay for a film to make me angry 
or make me upset or make me pissed off or be quirky. Not every film we're talking about today is a must hit. Yeah? Right. But at least every other film interested me. This one I was just bored in the cinema for. And I was and the fact I was bored is the most disappointing thing. That's the worst I thing. I wasn't isn't it? I wasn't there's nothing scary in it. There's nothing interesting in it. It doesn't have a conversation with you. It's utterly soul destroying because it's so bad. That's the thing. You don't want to be in a cinema board because I've, I've had it years ago and it is the worst experience because you go to the cinema to have a good time and enjoy the film. And it's like a letdown when, when that doesn't happen. The fact that this is a horror franchise, Ben, and you just said there was nothing actually terrifying or horror that actually made you feel scared kind of shows that they, they didn't hit the mark with this film at all. It's just another wasted sequel. Which is a shame. And you're not a sequel guy anyway. Would you have preferred it if they, you know, never did a sequel and left the first one as is? Well, the 2018 film was really good. But the 1978 film probably should have just stuck there. But you say that, you could say that about Jumanji. But I think the sequels are generally better than the original. These Halloween films, every Halloween film that's come after the original has not been better. They've not been close. The best thing I can say about Halloween Kills is it's quite fun hearing John Carpenter's score again. Can you do his little rendition? It's the... That's enough! <laughs> like, that's the I best... love how when I ask you to do a rendition, you don't just go the... Which is what most people would do. You just keep going on. It's like, are you going to stop? Are you going to wait? That's the best stop? bit of the film, the music. And because the music is actually scary. Just the soundtrack on Spotify and you look at the best bit of the film, basically. Uh, so you wouldn't recommend going to watch that? No, it's utterly dreadful. <laughs> no, <laughs> just no, just don't. Is there? Is There's the re- redeeming a... factor is uh, Ben's? And that obviously says something about the film. Just okay, watch the original. The, just watch the original. Is it kind of outdated though? No, because the original is actually scary. Okay. Fair enough. I feel like Bill was telling me off then. <laughs> He's still vexed over our, our, our policy debate. No, that's, that's me just being out utterly... Halloween kills. No, that is me being utterly dejected by Halloween kills. <laughs> so don't go watch that. Uh, what about our next one, Ben? That any good one about the Velvet Underground? This again, is this like a Halloween special? No, so this is directed by Todd Haynes, who's done things like the... Um, Bob Dylan biopic, I'm Not There, and it's his first documentary, uh, The Velvet Underground, which is about the revered rock and roll band, The Velvet Underground, with this documentary in a similar way to how Edgar Wright Sparks documentary. See, for me, for some reason, the word underground just, you know, kind of struck me as quite spooky. I thought it's coming out this kind of year. Maybe it's like a horror film going for the whole Halloween thing, but no, No, it's, it's a rock and roll music documentary. Okay, um, what's it available on? Apple TV Plus. Uh, of course, there we go. We haven't had an Apple TV Plus thing for a couple of weeks and we just knew what had to come back in because, Ben, you love Apple TV Plus, right? And, I mean, Todd Haynes is an Oscar-nominated director, so him making a film is worth talking about every time he makes yes. a film. 
Like, he's one of those filmmakers who's genuinely interesting. Um, In a similar way to how Edgar Wright's The Sparks documentary worked earlier this year, they spend a lot of time telling you how this band changed the world and going into their story and trying to make it an interesting story. (coughs) Now... Freshers flu. Yep, still going. How is your your freshers flu, by the way? Horrific. Now... I'm coming out the other end of mine now. I have not stopped coughing for months. For literally weeks. It's been like a month at this point. Anyway. Now, I have no connection to the Velvet Underground before watching this film. You're not a diehard fan of rock and roll. It's music that happened 20 years before I was born. If that. I mean, so did the Halloween Kills first film, but yeah. Yeah, but I wasn't alive for the moment. And this film, the documentary, if I'm honest, really well made. And as a film student, I found the things I was most interested in as a film lover is that I was most interested in what the film was doing as a film and the technical aspect. I thought those were really cool. And it's a really well made film. And it's a... It's got lots of flashy things going on, and it's interesting. And the film passed by. I just couldn't care for the band and the emotional stakes, which is probably more to do with my age than the film itself. But I do think, and it's also because I don't connect with music documentaries. I don't find them interesting. Mm. That's just me. But I feel like you have to be a fan of the music artist in order to find it interesting. I do feel like the market is quite niche for for, for, for music documentaries. Yeah, I think... I think no. Especially something like Apple TV Plus for like a, you know, full music, probably not full music, but like a now 80s TV or something. It's a bit different. But this is an acclaimed documentary made by an acclaimed right. filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And it's a good film. Yeah. It's a really good film. I just didn't care for the subject matter. Sure. Boy State is another documentary on a niche topic that came out last year on Apple TV+. Plus. was my favourite film of last year. Was it? Yes. Was it? Yes. Did you put that on our film, top favourite films of I last think year? I did actually forget to put it on there. But it was. Oh wow! It can't, it but it was. I I did the top twenty. <laughs> it in was like, my. It, no. it was my favorite film of last year. I was can it? still retcon. Yes. The, I can still. Was it? Yes. I can I, still retcon. It wasn't on there, Ben. See, I do pay attention. No, it was. I can what? still make it my. I can still make it my favorite film of twenty twenty now, because those change, and it's the film. They didn't even make the top ten, Ben. Yeah, I think I completely forgot about it. Oh, it must have been memorable and that good then. It is. I've thought about it literally. I think about it so often. I Right. I <laughs> think about it more really than creepy. all the... That it's... sounded really creepy. Why are you... I can also wreck on my top ten list because my opinions on films can constantly change. They can, and they clearly have. Mm. I just... <laughs> think i love a documentary and i thought this yep. is a good documentary just 
I wasn't interested. And you also couldn't help compare it to the documentary you just mentioned, which you loved last year. But, you know, when there's two, you know, music documentaries uh, being released on oh. the same, same streaming service and you love one of them, it must be a shame to not love the other one. So, first, the thing about the Velvet Underground is we've had, it's at the back end, we've already had two excellent music documentaries this year in the Sparks Brothers and Summer of Soul. This doesn't isn't as interesting for non-fans, in my opinion. Okay. Does not mean it's not a great film. Yeah. It's just... It sounds a, very well made. It is very well made. And I'm sure if you were around at the period, I just have no... There's nothing I could put my hook in and connect it with. Right. But you can appreciate it's a good piece. Yeah, it's a brilliant piece of artwork. Brilliant piece Amazing. of artwork. Amazing. So if you were a fan of the Velvet Underground... Or, or the even if you were a fan of that movement, roll. yeah. Yes. I, go, go, go check it out, right? Yeah. I. If you were around at that point, I reckon you'll get something from it. See, Ben, this is the thing. I'm thinking everything today just sounds like potentially spooky. So we've still to come on today's podcast. We've got the last duel... Like Jules, bit spooky. Ron's gone wrong, so I mean going wrong. And the next uh, thing we're going to be discussing, Venom Two. Am I? Am, is there actually a correlation here? Do you understand my point or not? Nah, nothing. Only Halloween Kills was an actual horror film. Okay, well, Venom Two. It's about Venom, I guess. Yeah. So this is the sequel to the 2018 film Venom. Um, it sees. Is it just a sequel, or is it a sequel of a reboot of a reboot of a sequel? No, this is actually just a sequel. Which is oh my god, who would have thought? <laughs> um, yeah, in modern Hollywood, who would have thought? Now, <laughs> this review... Original ideas! <laughs> Jacob, can, I'm going to have to ask that you let me get through this review, because it's not going to make a massive amount of sense... Because this is film... Is this you telling me you're for interfering too much? Today? No, this isn't. But this is me saying that this film is both a one-star film and a five-star film Ooh, at the same I'm time. I'm intrigued. I mean, I'm actually intrigued. So I will let but you the one, the one thing it's not, the one yeah. thing it's not is a two-and-a-half-star film. It is both a one-star film and a five-star film. It is... In- How is that even possible? Explain all. So, um... This film sees Eddie Brock, who's struggling with his relationship with Venom, the um, shape-shifting extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial symbiote that uh, has moved into his body for this last time. Meanwhile, deranged serial killer Claytus Cassidy, played by Woody Halston, also manages to find get an alien symbiote carnage in his blood after he bit Eddie Brock. Um, and now Venom and Brock both played by Tom Hardy, who has incredible chemistry with himself, um, must put their differences aside to stop Carnage from causing havoc because he's a serial killer who was about to be put on the electric chair. Now, the first Venom was not a good film. And the second Venom is not a good film. But the difference is, the second Venom knows it's not a good film and leans into it. 
because it's not, it's shorter, it's 90 minutes, it's faster, and it is genuinely funny. There are, Tom Hardy just goes so into the role. He is having, clearly having the time of his life playing Eddie Brock and Venom. And he also wrote the film. And I'm pretty sure he was on some strong stuff writing this film. He's genuinely, he just goes for it. It's it's kind of refreshing to see how much someone goes batshit mental in a superhero film, which are normally so serious. And the, there's, the film doesn't take itself seriously, which is so refreshing to watch. And the conversations about how Venom lives off chicken brains because he can't get human brains, but then when Eddie brought him two tit chickens, Sonny and Cher, he won't eat them because he sees them as friends. It's brilliant. The scene of Venom at a nightclub is honestly one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, it does waste Naomi Harris and Stephen Graham here in the film, but Woody Halston is suitably unhinged as a serial killer, like his parents were, fun fact. Um... And Tom Hardy is clearly once again having the time of his life. Once again, I need to say this film is not a good film. It is a terrible film. But I was having such a fun time watching it. And I laughed probably about 60 times in a film that's not that long. And the audience around me were having a great time. There, it's... Yeah, you can talk now. Oh, it's nice to be able to... Ben, so many questions. <laughs> uh, the vibe I'm getting is, it's not a good film, and you enjoyed it because you were laughing at it. I mean, I wasn't laughing. I was laughing with Maybe it, with not with at it. it. Okay, yeah, I was, with it. I was just... Because it is funny. Right. And I mean, it knows it's not high art. And I think so many superhero films take themselves so deadly serious, and the first Venom did. In my opinion, and it wasn't that this film just right? letting loose and going nuts with the flow. There's something charming to it, right? Um, what really struck me was <laughs> when you were just calling the director accusing him of being on something. <laughs> Is it that crazy? So Tom Hardy, when he wrote it, he's... That's the Andy, headline for the Andy podcast, Serkis, director who, on drugs. <laughs> Andy Serkis directed it. I don't think Tom Hardy was high when he wrote it, because I have a, I think he's a strong professional. I just think it's one of those Tom Hardy performances, which he does every now and then, where he's just like, fuck it, I'm just here for a fun <laughs> time, not a long time. And he just goes crazy. And it's great fun watching him go crazy. Okay. He has so much chemistry with himself. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing that, that, that struck me when you were like, he has amazing chemistry with himself. I know, because he also plays Venom. And, he, oh, wow. and Venom and Eddie talk to each other a lot during the film, which is also great fun to watch. Just their conversations... The film is at its best it when just it leans. Sounds mental. The film's at its best when it leans into being a romantic comedy between Eddie and Venom. Like the actual superhero stuff is not that great, but when it's a full romantic comedy, it's such a wild ride. It just sounds crazy, Ben. It is crazy. It's like crazy in the best way possible. It made me go crazy. 
but I, I think I'm crazy for liking the film. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you got some enjoyment out of it. Would you be uh, in a rush to go and watch it again? Ooh. Ooh. Because this is the only film I think we've ever reviewed on this podcast, 52 episodes now, hey, hey, um, where you've had this divided opinion and felt like this. Um, I'm not going to go back and watch it in the cinema. I will probably wait till it's on TV. And I will get very drunk when it's next on TV. And I will okay. have the time of my life again. That said, I'm not saying you shouldn't go and watch it in the cinema. I Would think... you have a drink before you go watch it in the cinema? Yeah, I think you'd I think you'd have way more fun if you're drunk. Have you ever been tipsy or drunk or anything in the cinema, Ben? For professional reasons, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> okay. No, I'm not. I'm, I live an hour's walk away from a cinema. Oh, so okay. uh, it, it yeah, would be yeah. quite impressive if I managed to turn up drunk. <laughs> well, I, you know what? If, we're, if I ever watch that, I'll make sure I've had a couple of pints. Uh, okay, Ron's gone wrong. Oh, no. Sounds like it's some Harry Potter sequel. Obviously, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it would be a very interesting Harry Potter sequel. So this is the typical, it's half-term, or I think it's half-term. This feels next like week, a half-term Next week, next week, next week. Okay, it's half-term next week. You need to take the kids to watch something in the cinema. Because everyone that listens is like a parent, and we really like appeal to the parent audience. <laughs> no, but that's just the market that half this film... Half-term for me, half-term for me is the time to avoid the cinema. Yeah, but that's the market this film's going right. for. Right, okay, okay. Um, it's an animated film. I have to admit, I fell hard for this film. Um, really? It's really I... charming and endearing. So it's set in a non-too-distant future where every child at this school has these B-bots, which are these tiny little robots called your best friends out your box. And they're essentially like robot mobile phones. The kids play games on them. They message on them. They do social media on them. All of those stuff. And anyway, Barney, um, he is the only kid at his school who doesn't have a B-Bot. And he feels excluded for not having the B-Bot. Um, he feels that his, he struggles to have friends. And he's the type of kid who ends up sitting on the conversation bench in the playground that all schools had um anyway his dad played by ed helm suddenly who's this inventor inventing lots of weird gadgets and his auntie his eastern uh, european auntie who's a strong anti-communist and i kid you not the most batshit mental character i think i've ever seen in a film played by olivia coleman i mean I just could not imagine what she was doing. They finally relent and get Barney a B-Bot. Only they can't afford an actual one, so buy a broken one from a backstreet alley and called Ron, who's missing all the code, doesn't even know Barney's name, can't learn Barney's name because he can only know names beginning with the letter A. And um, Barney and Ron quickly become friends because... Ron is not the perfect robot. 
I think you know what you're going to get with this film. It is... What I want to ask, is it anything to do with the big purple Barney the Dinosaur? No, nothing to do with Because <laughs> it's an animated thing and there's a guy called Barney in it and it's for kids. Yeah, Barney is actually quite a famous name, Jacob. Yeah, but Barney the Dinosaur is also very famous. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's utter... So, one of the things I quite liked, it's... You'll rec- there are a couple of films that have come out that recently that are quite similar. Mainly the Mitchells vs. the Machines that came out in April on Netflix. And both of these films do do that thing where they take quite a lot of jabs at major social media companies. And there are all the gags about how they harvest your data <laughs> and how they're all slightly dodgy. Um, I think this film does a brilliant job of walking because there is a tightrope that you have to walk between highlighting the hardships of social media and completely and feeling like you're preaching as an adult doing it. Um, It's a tight walk that's very often badly done. (coughs) Oh, freshest flu. But here, I felt they got that right. Right. Um, There are scenes that broke me, um, multiple in there, including when one of the girls who wants to be an influencer, she goes viral for the wrong reasons, and she feels like her friends start alienating her. But I think there's a real... It's not a film that says we should bin our technology, but I think most kids have would be tech-savvy enough to really understand this film and understand the nuances of it. And I think there's enough gags in there for the adults that it really works. And it's a sweet film that feels Pixar and DreamWorks-esque. And And it's got Olivia Colman playing an ex-Soviet Eastern European auntie who keeps goats and chickens. runs that. That is another amazing reason to watch it. She's having the time of her life. Uh, but, you know, older people can get enjoyment out of it as well and, you know, relate to it in a way, even though it's for kids. Yeah, I... I'm an adult. Um, and I... I said that in the least... I'm an adult. <laughs> I, 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 I have the mind... We, of... we are actually adults, legally. Yeah, legally. <laughs> Probably doesn't sound like it. Legally. Let's I, be honest. Legally. I've watched... Two of these films are 18, and I watched them in the cinema. So uh, this film is not. But um, <laughs> I, 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 there was lots I really Did enjoyed. Did you get ID'd? Uh, no, for neither of them. Oh, I feel like cinemas aren't too hot on IDs. No, and I feel like I only really get ID'd when I'm buying alcohol. Yeah. And even then, it's 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no. Depends what I'm wearing as well. I did or not. <laughs> yeah, and it depends how long my hair is, and if I'm. Oh my god! Same. I was going to say this. When I had longer hair, um, they would like barely ID me. But I've cut it. It's quite long, but I've cut it since I was on Tally mm. listeners. Um, I, it has been cut. Um, and I now get ID'd more. In fact, <laughs> have I told you this? But I was at a club the other day. Obviously, you get cl- uh, ID to get into the club, and then you don't get ID'd at the bar again. Mm. 
I was at the bar and they said that I looked like I was far too young. So the mom see my ID before serving me a drink because they thought I could have snuck in because I looked that young. Yeah, no, I'm... Uh, That's offensive, isn't it? I don't get that. But generally, no. when I have my long hair and I grow a beard, I don't even get ID'd at the supermarket. When you go part of a beard. Yes, when I grow... <laughs> when <laughs> I get sideburns. It's a bit gappy. It's sideburns and nothing else. Sideburns on the chin, but it's the bit in between, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's diagonally from your lip downwards. Mm. It's like that bit there. It's the same on me as well. And the it, bottom. It's not a good look, Ben. Oh, it's I get not, the bottom. <laughs> I get it's the not, it's not like a good a look. Better. I do shave, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just can't be asked. Sometimes, when I have long hair, I like to look like I've completely fallen off the rails, just for shit. And go for this, like, caveman look. And when my friends walk past me, they're like, Ben, are you okay? You look like you've had a serious mental breakdown. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's probably why they, you don't get ID. They just think this guy's the, like, needs this. This is what he does day in, day out. We are massively stereotyping here. I do apologise. Um, all right, final thing on today's RTE Film Podcast, The Last Jewel. So The Last Jewel has something that every other film needs a lot more of. It has blonde Ben Affleck having a lot of fun in a row. I will watch anything with Ben Affleck in. I think the guy is a gift from God. Is he one of them people that, like you were speaking about the film earlier, I think about it all the time. Is it, is it one of those I, I situations? I do think about, I think about Ben Affleck all the time. Oh, I, I, I don't want to know. I, I don't I love, know. I love, I, I love Ben Affleck. I think he's... Yeah, I, I've gathered that. He's a gift. Anyway, he's having the time of his life. God. In the, his new film, The Last Drill, which he wrote with his collaborator, Matt Damon. Last time right. they wrote a film, Good Will Hunting, which they won an Oscar for. So, hey. good times. And it's directed by Ridley Scott, who made Gladiator. Wow. And it stars... Strong team. And also Adam Driver and Jodie Comer. Hey, Adam Driver, love the, him. Both rounding out the main cast. It's a very prestigious drama. That is strong. And it's a good film. It's Yes. It's one of those films that I'm like, how did this get made? <laughs> if it wasn't for the massively high-profile cast and crew, I have no clue how it got made. Um, because it stars... It's about the last ever trial to the de- uh, trial by combat in France in wow. medieval times. Um, it's about Jean de Carogues, played by Matt Damon, um, who's a respected knight known for his bravery and skill on the battlefield. Um, then you have Jacques Legree. And if you think my French is atrocious... It's about Which as bad. Is. It's about as bad as everyone in the casts, um, played by <laughs> Adam Driver. This sounds great. Who's a squire? Whose intelligence and eloquence makes him an admired noble in court, um, and a favour to the royals. Anyway, one night, Legree, Adam Driver, viciously assaults Karug's wife. He he rapes her, um, played by Jodie Comer. And she steps forward to accuse her attacker, which is such an act of bravery and defiance, particularly in the back times, that it means if she's found to be lying, she will be burned at the stake. Anyway, because back then rape was not a crime against the woman, it was a crime against the husband's property, 
a trial by combat to the death happens. And wow. it's all in God's hands. In God's hands. Now, the film, really other than having either. random accents and some really interesting haircuts... And some really questionable Le Francais. Um, and yeah, so it's bad accents and weird haircuts, which are really interesting. Um, I really liked the film, but right. it's not an easy watch. Okay. I think it's Absolutely. really good. It does. It does the Rashomon thing, where it tells the story from each of the three perspectives. So it tells it from Le de Carugues, it tells it from Le Gris, and it tells it from uh, Carugues' wife. He, uh, marionette. <laughs> oh. Now it makes clear the film does make clear which one it views is the truth, and that's marionettes. And I think that is a very smart move on the film's side to side with the woman who was raped because it would be very uncomfortable otherwise and also you just have to think about the fact then Legree has nothing to lose from any accusations but the woman she could be burned to death so she would not speak out if she knew it wasn't true um I will say this film's an 18 and it should I be can't an 18 understand why should be an 18 because that specific scene is shown twice because they repeat the story three times and the rape scene shown twice and it's very uncomfortable to watch okay mainly because Jodie Comer is so brilliant in the film she's utterly giving one of her best performances and she's such a talented actress you feel for her, but she has such strength and elegance in a time when she wasn't allowed that. I do not want to look at Adam Driver again after watching this film. Um, He's a great actor, man. I was... You definitely... I think that is the right... That obviously shows that he played his part well. Yes. You save... And what I will say about the film, because the jewel is at the end, it's the big emotional climax of the film after you've seen the three sides of the story. You'd certainly end up rooting for a side in the duel. And you think everyone would end up rooting for the same side? Yes, I think the film makes it very clear what side you should root for. Um, okay. I think it's not a light film. But I think yeah, it's it sounds an important quite... film. And I think it has important conversations about how we need to believe women who step forward and their bravery for stepping forward. I mean, I agree I don't, with that but in part. a weird way, it also doesn't feel as feminist as it thinks it is. Oh, there's there's something about this film that stops it being great. There's so many truly good things. Adam Driver's great. Matt Damon's great. Ben Affleck gives one of his best performances. Jodie Comer steals the show. The film keeps you invested. I couldn't look away, apart from the two scenes when I did look away. Is that the... Yes, I, I... Personally, I'm not going to watch a rape scene. 
I put my head in my jumper. It wasn't happening. I don't want to watch that. I I experienced it because I was in the room while it was playing, but I wasn't going to watch it. Um, but something doesn't add up. And I'm just not sure if that's because it's a two and a half hour medieval film about rape. Mm. Which, it's insane that film got made in 2021. Like, in our current landscape. It's Are you ins- glad it did get made, though? Yes, because I think it's a good film. It's, you and know, I think it's an interesting film. This genuinely sounds like something that I really want to go and watch. Yeah, I think people should go and watch it. But it's a tough watch. Mm. And I feel like maybe because it's such a tough watch. And it doesn't hold back. Which is, we love films like that. We love films that push boundaries here on the podcast. Yeah. But something... Something just... You're lost for words, and this is great, because I imagine, based on what you've just said, this is really the attitude that the filmmakers and the whole cast really wanted you to come away with. They wanted you to come away and think, oh my god. Yeah, I was certainly just shocked. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure if this is the... I'm not sure if, because the fact it was made by a guy... And two of the three writers were male. Each free writer wrote a different style. So Matt Damon wrote his character's chapter. Ben Affleck wrote Legree's chapter, which he's in a lot. And Nicole Hoff, I can't say her third surname, um, acclaimed director, wrote Jodie Comer's third. And that's the only third that feels really feminist. And I'm not sure if that was deliberate and intentional. Something about this film doesn't feel as progressive as the film thinks it is. That's my only gripe with the film. You would tell people it's a tough watch, but you should go watch it, right? Yeah, and I think it's a really, really It's not necessarily film. a film you'll enjoy, but it's... I enjoyed it. That... I did enjoy did it. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Did you enjoy it, or were you glad you watched it? When you were sat there, were you enjoying the film? Yes. Yeah, I okay. was. I was. And I do think it's... It's, it's a tough question, that. Yeah, it's an interesting film. And there was no point where I was sitting there watching it like, oh, why am I watching this? Like, this right. is hard. But it moves fast and it's... It's two and a half hours and it never felt that way. But... I mean, which ben, for a medieval film is so difficult to do. I oh, think it's a really talented... Ridley Scott was walking on a million different eggshells for this. And I do think he cracked a few. But I think he most of the eggs were uns- were safe by the end of it. Which is a lot ben, more than I, I expected. Say, I just want to say to you, thank you for opening up about how this film made you feel and how you felt after that. You know, that's something I always really respect is how open you are on the podcast. So thank yeah, you Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't watch. I think... People do need to be aware that those two rape scenes are in quite a lot of detail. It's yeah. it the audience. I watched it with quite a full audience. Lots of squirming, lots of very uncomfortable from the audience. Yes, no one walked out during those scenes, and no one walked out after them. But lots of people were very uncomfortable, and the scenes go on a bit. Yeah. 
I mean, Ben, I feel like that is a perfect note to end the podcast on. I think you've certainly given me a lot to think about without even watching the film. So I can't imagine how much you actually came away thinking about. Um, But that, it sounds like a great watch. Probably not perfect, but Ben, as you always say, no film is perfect. Um, But thank you, man, for opening up. I really appreciate it. Okay, Uh, I've been Jacob Dyer. He has been the brilliant Ben Heath. And thank you so much for listening. If you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, please. Uh, If you're on Spotify, subscribe. So you won't have to search for us. We'll be right there in your inbox, which I know you really want. Uh, Search You Film on Google. Check out all of Ben's amazing written reviews. And also give us a cheeky follow over on Twitter at Film. Ben, thank you so much. And uh, bye-bye. Bye.